In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Today we've heard the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it's important to realize what this all hinges upon. Why this lawyer has come to our Lord and what he is seeking to do. And the parable is the answer to the secret justification that the lawyer is seeking in his questioning of Jesus Christ. It all hinges on the answer of who is my neighbor. And in the concluding line of go and do likewise. Between this question and this answer, we have the parable of the Good Samaritan. So what was the motivation of the lawyer? He comes right from the beginning to test our Lord. He wants to see which side Jesus is on in this dispute among the Jews regarding the law about what are the limits of who it is that we have to love. Some said that their neighbors were only those who were their fellow believers, those who were under the covenant. And perhaps some, and perhaps even just a minority, said that no, we are all sons and daughters of Adam, and so our neighbors are those who are close to us. So the question here that the lawyer is seeking is, who do I need to love in order to have eternal life? But he approaches like a lawyer would. He sets up an argument. He sets up a trap to perhaps corner our Lord and see what perspective he can perhaps get him to say and then say, I've got you. I have the winning argument here. But Christ, of course, is not trapped by these limiting views of the law. He follows along with the lawyer, and then when the trap seems to be set, he springs his own and gives us the parable of the Good Samaritan. We are talking here about Christ as the fulfillment of the law. The lawyer answers rightly, as our Lord says, when he gives the summation of all the commandments. And he says, in answer to our Lord's questioning back to him, that of course, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Both of these commands that the lawyer responds correctly are so deeply interrelated to one another, to a way that no one really could see before the advent of Christ in the world. They couldn't imagine how loving God and loving their neighbor were so closely tied together. And so it takes a bit to understand that first part of the commandment to then understand loving your neighbor as yourself. Blessed Theophylact, in looking at this answer, has this wonderful way of bringing out the meaning of with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength, and with all of our mind. And he says this, The Lord leads the lawyer to the very law of which he boasted to have such great knowledge. See how precisely the, the law commands us to love God. Man is more perfect than all the other created things, being in some respect like all created things, but in addition, having something exceptional. And then he spends some time pointing out 
that humanity has within our existence something that is like the rest of creation. But we have, as he said, something exceptional in addition to the rest of creation. We have strength and resilience, like the stones of the earth. And he says it's kind of like we have a semblance of this in our nails, in our hair, that sort of resilience and strength, but that has no action. It's just there. We have the impulse to grow and propagate like plants do. We have emotions and desires like animals do. In other words, all the creatures have a heart, they have a soul, and they have some strength to them. And we have a portion of that that's reflected in who we are. But we have a mind, a dionia, as it says in the Greek. Something that can grasp how the world is made. And that is unlike any other creature in creation. This is the part of us that most clearly reflects the image of God. It's our, our ability, this very ability to reflect the logos of God, the rational mind of God, the creator, who is none other than Jesus Christ himself. And it is in that part that we grow in our likeness of the Holy Trinity. We come to understand God unlike any other creature can. It is this mind that our Lord is saying must be brought before God to understand the fullness and the depth of the law. It must be brought, as the lawyer unknowingly did and received an answer, to Jesus Christ, the very Logos of the Father. The one who created it all and knows it from the smallest, smallest piece of the universe to the greatest. And he's aiding this lawyer and telling him that all, by all his human powers of strength, heart, soul, and mind, that can be brought before him. So it is here that the lawyer who has tricked himself into thinking that he can trap the Lord is then illumined by Christ. He wants to have an understanding that is unlike God's understanding. His understanding of who his neighbor is is not the same one that Christ is about to give him. The lawyer has set up an argument that the law is unclear. This is the background of the debate. The law is unclear. Clearly our neighbor can't be someone who is not one of us. How could we fulfill it if it meant anything else? This was what the lawyer had in his mind. He either desires to have some sort of excuse for not loving those out of the covenant who are near him, or to justify himself by meaning that he can still count himself righteous by making that choice. That he can remain righteous in an external way and that to mean anything to God. That he could somehow not help a needy person simply because they weren't a member of the covenant. He is prideful in his thinking, and has created or joins some self-created rules to understand the law. Blessed Theophylact sums up his mental state in this way. He imagined himself to be righteous and thought that there was no one like him, that no one could come close in virtue to him. He was puffed up, if you will. He imagined that a righteous man could have only as a neighbor only another righteous man. 
Therefore, wanting to show himself to be righteous and superior to all men, he says haughtily to the Lord, and who is my neighbor? The lawyer then is trapped in his own reasoning because his mind has not been given over to Christ. And he, under, he did not understand the perspective of heaven. He knew all the readings of the law, all the possible interpretations, but he could not understand it as God intended us to take it. He could not understand the command to love your neighbor as yourself since he thought of only how the law might be limited, how it might have a limited application. It's only applicable when these criteria are met. In other words, he sought the answer of who would God not have me help? That's the answer he was seeking. In some sense, this question is ridiculous. Who is my neighbor? It's self-evident in the words that we see that he would have spoken and that we find in the New Testament in Greek. But they're still difficult to swallow. In the Greek, neighbor is plisios, which has the literal meaning of one who is close. So literally, someone who is standing in front of you. The question of who is my neighbor in Greek sounds very much like, well, who is close to me? You would have been self-evident who was close to him. At that time, the Lord was next to him, probably with a host of his disciples. And we have this same meaning, but we miss it in English because the word neighbor in English comes from the German, nachbar, which is one who is nigh to me, one who is close. And so the answer, who is my neighbor, if he wasn't seeking to justify himself, would have been, of course, it's the person next to me. But our Lord doesn't just give him an etymological answer. He proceeds immediately to a parable to get at the heart so that all of those with ears could hear the meaning in this story. The fathers, when they look at the parable that we have heard today, they see every element in it as the story of how God acts to us. And we are the wounded man on the side of the road in need of help. Indeed, in the great canon of repentance of St. Andrew that we read during Holy and Great Lent, it explicitly brings out that, and it says, Oh, look, my soul, of how I am like the wounded man on the side of the road in need of the help of the Samaritan. So this is how we are to read the parable, as God acting to us. The law and the prophecy are those of the Levites, and the priests who walk on by. They were unable, insufficient to heal the wounded man and unwilling. The Samaritan is the Son of God in the flesh. And this is probably the most scandalous part of the parable, is that God has identified himself with one who is not of the covenant, with a Samaritan. To the Jewish mind, this would have been someone never to associate with. And so it is the Samaritan, the one who is wholly other, in some sense, to those who were immediately in front of him. It is the Samaritan who takes care of the wounded man, takes care of him right then and there by pouring oil and wine on his wounds, and then carrying him to the innkeeper. And the inn, the fathers tell us, is the very church itself. That is the house for which 
we are continually and growing in our healing and becoming whole human beings again. It is the oil and the wine of the sacraments that are continually given to us in the inn by the innkeeper himself, the church. The innkeepers, the fathers understand as the priests who are giving these things, helping the people that their wounds may be healed. And all of this is in the very fact that of the man who is speaking this parable, who is not just a mere man, but it is that Logos himself come in the flesh. It is the God-man. It is the incarnate one of heaven standing before this lawyer. We see that the Samaritan is wholly other. God is wholly other than us. But he did not leave it that way. He desired to become our neighbor. And so he came in the flesh. And the coming of the Son in the flesh brought humanity direct into direct unity. No closer relationship, no greater neighborliness could we have than what Christ came and did when he took on human nature and made it his own. We should be very, we who should be very greatly divided from God are now directly in contact with him. He has become our neighbor. He has made that movement to us as the Samaritan made the movement to the wounded man and desired to heal him. So the point of the parable is really twofold. And there's a result answering the question of who is my neighbor. First, it is a parable, a presentation of the purpose of the economy of God, of what he is doing for us in the incarnation and in the continuing ministry of the church. That is how we are saved. And secondly, it is highlighting our shared human nature, that we are all neighbors to one another without distinction. That is, we must conclude that all humans are our neighbors. No matter how psychologically or socially we think, they're not like me. We are unable to follow this command and eliminate any person from that category of being our neighbor. The command is to love those who are close by. Those are our neighbors. Are they close to you? Can you see them? Can you perhaps smell them? Can you walk up to them and lay a hand on their shoulder? This is who your neighbor is. This is who our Lord is telling us that we need to love. And we are commanded by him to do so. Our God saw fit to make us his neighbors. Us who are so wholly other than him, wholly unworthy of having him draw so close. But this is what he chose to do. Not just to stand next to us, put a hand on our shoulder and tell us it would be fine, but to become one of us, to participate in what it meant and means to be human. He joined himself in that way to heal our human nature from its wounds by his divine presence that is united to it. The parable ends, or rather the interaction ends with the lawyer with these words, go and do likewise. All human beings are our neighbors without discrimination because they have in common with us 
that human nature which Christ took to himself. We are close with one another on that account. One station or cultural dissimilarity or differing belief or historical animosity even as the Jews and the Samaritans had with one another makes, doesn't make another human being not our neighbor. They rather are our neighbor in need of mercy, care, and compassion and love as the Samaritan gave to this man. It is the discrimination of who is my neighbor that leads us to not have compassion, to lack mercy, and to have cruel and cold reactions as we walk by people, giving them nothing even if we could. But those are the ones who are close to us that we need to love. Christ is teaching us that by fulfilling that command, we act as God acts in the incarnation. We, he made a way by joining himself to us as, our, as his neighbors. Even as we are awe-inspired by that very act, that it is us who can go now and do as he did, to go and do likewise. So this ter- parable tells us love is about a personal contact. The command is not fulfilled by some sort of anonymous, impersonal writing of a check to somebody who you can't see. None of the fathers say that the law is fulfilled when we do that, but rather it is when we give something, even little things, to those who are just before us, those who are close by. So the next time you hear this parable and you hear the word neighbor, think of it in your mind as who is next to me? Who is before me? Who can I see? Who can I touch? Who can I say a word to? This is the meaning of the law. And this is the meaning that the lawyer missed in his attempt to find the answer. But even when he had the right answer. What matters in fulfilling the command that we are, is that we care in, for those we come in contact with. For those who are truly close by. So may we by God's example, as who was the Samaritan caring for the wounded man, and by the acts that he has enabled for us in his coming in the flesh, the very incarnation, be active in our lives and may his grace flow into us that we may act as he did and go and do likewise. O Lord, our God, Jesus Christ, the Logos of the Father and our Savior, send your grace to us that we may be healed as the wounded man was by the Samaritan that we with all our heart, soul, strength, and our mind give ourselves to you and in turn love our neighbors that are before us. Grant us the grace to cross the road and help the wounded in soul or in body as you heal us in making us your neighbors by your coming in the flesh. Grant us your wisdom to do as the Samaritan did and be the contact to others with compassion, grace, and mercy that you may heal them. Amen.